Hey everyone, welcome to Insert Game here. I'm Brian. And I'm Addison. And I'm pleasantly oblivious. (laughs) (laughs) By that he means Jared. (laughs) (laughs) Well everybody, it's been a while since we've been with you. Uh, As I said in the last episode, I I did have COVID and lost my voice for a while. And then I, I think... Each and every one of us, in one way or another, had life just kind of bog us down for a while. Yeah, it's just been it's been crazy for for all of us. Because um, I had a crazy month with projects that I had to work on for sponsorships and stuff. We've all been very busy, and one of us is also has not only just been busy, but also been very sick. So yeah, it's okay. We we found him a new voice. <laughs> it's almost yeah. as good as the old one, but I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's close Built enough. it out of spare parts in the back. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a, a little dysfunctional, but it mostly works. <laughs> just had to just had to dig into the to the old boxes uh, in the warehouse back there. Just be like, oh, yeah, we could make this work. <laughs> Suddenly I'm seeing in my head Wally with his shelves and shelves of spare parts. Yep. Yep. Let's get the <laughs> screwdriver. We'll make this work for him. Well, uh, the last episode, we, we took a step back to what was initially our pilot episode and shared with you our thoughts after the Game Awards 2020. Talked a little bit about the, the voting jury, and we had that discussion last year, and we shared that in the last episode. Uh, nothing more needs to be said about that, but there's plenty more that needs to be said about other things. And now that we are on the other side of the Game Awards 2021, let's talk about what we just watched. And before I say what I came prepared to say, I just want to get your guys' hot take on on what you thought of the Game Awards. I mean, from my perspective, it's pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. It It felt very corporate it felt very you know patting themselves on the back kind of showcase and a lot of um a lot of advertisements and just it that's what it was it was just a very corporate award show and that's kind of what i expected um i typically watch it every year to see if there's any cool announcements that um might pique my interest this year there wasn't really much for me anyway like i know there were some announcements in there that really got a lot of other people excited. Um, the big thing for me, I think maybe was just, they did show off some more Elden Ring, which I mean, I'm super excited about that game next year, but I, at the same time, I'm also like, I I've already seen a lot of Elden Ring at this point. I don't need to see more of it. I just want to play it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate seeing more footage, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's cool, but I just kind of want the game now. So yeah, you're you're like a baby in a crib, just like give me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Elden Ring is uh, one of my biggest anticipated games of the year next year. So at this point, I'm just like, don't show me trailers. I just want the game. Well, it did win most anticipated game of the year for the second year in a row. So yeah, that's the, saying something right there. Yep, I mean the the only game that I'm probably anticipating more than that one next year is the Breath of the Wild sequel. But even then, we don't even fully know 100 if that's coming out next year. I feel like a lot of the winners were predictable and acceptable. There was one, though, that I didn't expect actually taking a win. But overall, I mean, it, it was a it was a solid, I think, award show. Uh, which What was the one that surprised you? Game of the Year. That surprised me as well, uh, delightfully so. I, I mean, I, I thought it would either be Deathloop or Metroid Dread. And I i mean, if I was to put money on it, I would say Deathloop. Everybody has talked about Deathloop for good mm-hmm. reason. Uh, a very unique gameplay. It is still a first-person shooter. It is still that, uh, that genre of game that is everywhere these days. But I felt like they had, had a uniqueness to it. For It Takes Two to take Game of the Year, that impressed me. I, I did not see that coming. Yeah, that was actually a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, I was curious because out of all of the games that were nominated for Game of the Year, the only one I had played was Metroid Dread. So I was just kind of like, well, I don't really have any much. much for- well, actually, no, I did play Resident Evil Village. I forgot about that. But uh, I did, I felt like for me, it was probably going to be between Metroid Dread and maybe Ratchet and Clank because I had heard some stuff. But 
I hadn't heard anything about like I didn't know about Deathloop until the Game Awards, but I also live in a shell this time of year. I'm, <laughs> I'm under a rock, so it's just my information networks are uh, all dried out this time of year. They're frosted over, so uh, I'm gonna have to look up Deathloop because yeah, there's there's actually quite a bit of hype about that game. The award show was the first time I've ever heard of it as well, and I just when it comes to first person shooters, I don't typically personally really pay attention to those kinds of games um because they're just not really up my alley like i i played my fair share of first person shooters back in the xbox 360 days so i've kind of been burnt out on them um so i don't really pay attention to them especially since you know as you said brian they're basically everywhere nowadays like whenever i see a first person shooter i'm just like oh they're a dime a dozen yeah but i mean if they're if this one's as interesting as people are saying i mean might check it out maybe maybe not i'm not All sure right. i i think the for me the reason it takes two took it is because the narrative storyline that they went to the way that gameplay was was innovative enough and it was a concept that more people can resonate with from a storytelling standpoint and i think that's one of the reasons why it took game of the year is because so many people can resonate with what's happening in that storyline whereas mm -hmm. for like metroid dread it's a very technical execution of a game it feels great to play but it's narrative light uh it, it's more about you know the environment and some of the other stuff until you get to bigger moments in the game right at the end where you get all the lore bombs. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I care about in games, so that's why Metroid Dread is my personal game of the year. But then again, I've never played It Takes Two. Um, so, I mean, that's why Metroid Dread was the one that I would have wanted to win, but I was not expecting it to win. I was not expecting it to win at all. And actually, I was actually very pleasantly surprised to see It Takes Two win. And I was actually very, very happy for the developers. I say good for them because isn't It Takes Two an indie game? I think it started as an indie game and then picked up a, a good publisher. Right. So, I mean, so far, I think It Takes Two is the closest thing that the Game Awards has come to giving Game of the Year to an indie game. No, it, no even bigger, it's an EA game. An EA game won Game of the Year. How about that? Really? Yeah. Well, it's published by EA, but it's developed by an indie studio. So it, it, exactly. it's not real. It, um, it, it's 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 kind of an EA game, but also kind of not. So it's 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 a in between. It's an thing. EA game in like title only. Well, it's, it it's, well it, it's like Jared said that that's the publisher. I'm looking for the developer right now. Hazelight Studios developed it, and uh, Electronic Arts published it. Because didn't they also make? Um, the 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 what was the game that uh jared that uh you and our friend played on uh way out. And role players a long time ago a way out thank you yes yeah because yeah, they did that split uh split screen concept there so they're kind of pioneering that right yeah because i know i i know that much about it it takes two it was made by the same people and that game so. was also published by electronic arts so yeah but uh it is good to see a smaller studio take game of the year that that was really cool oh yeah no um, that was really really cool i'm super happy for them one thing that interested me was uh and, and of course as a composer i'm going to to point this out the the best score in music category uh near replicant won. this is the second year in a row that a remake won best score and it's what's true. interesting about that is while, yes, there were new arrangements, the original music was written years and years ago. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that just means that we have a proclivity towards certain things or the fact that we were able to take the originals and maybe improve upon them mm -hmm. gives it a bit of an edge. Yeah. And I was telling uh, Brian this earlier, um, and I'll say it here on podcast, the awards that I was personally the happiest about were the uh, awards for best customer support and best ongoing game, both of which went to Final Fantasy XIV, which I was very happy about because I really wanted that game to win. That game has been amazing lately. Thank you, Final Fantasy, for beating Fortnite. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, was telling, I was telling Baku that um, I would have actually been upset if uh, it didn't at least get 
best customer support. Yeah. I just I love the I just love the irony of best customer support. Our game is so popular we can't accept new players. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's so true. They had to stop selling the game because it's so successful and popular. Yeah. But to me what really I mean, to turn around what you said what sells me on the best customer support isn't the fact that they had to stop selling the game. It's the attitude in which they stopped selling the game because they have come straight out. They've been transparent and they've been like, we're sorry. We're working yeah, as hard I mean, as we can. We don't want to do this, but we have to do this to stabilize our, our servers. Be patient yeah. with us. Here, we're going to give you some free play time. We're sorry. I mean, that right there is customer support. Transparency, I've showing that always, they care. So big. Yeah. I have always said that Final Fantasy XIV has one of the best development teams in the industry. Like, their customer support has been just, it has been unmatched. Like, they are outstanding when it comes to, like, communicating with their player base and getting to understand exactly what it is that they want to make the game better. I mean, the director of the game, he not only develops the game, he plays it. He plays it all the time. And there were changes that were incorporated into the latest expansion, Endwalker, that no one was asking for, but they are changes that are extremely welcome because people are like, oh, wow, we didn't even think about something like this. And the director, Yoshi P, was just like, yeah, I've been playing the game and I just thought that this was a good idea from my own experience. Like, not only is he getting feedback from his own player base, he plays the game himself to get a good feel of, I think this could be better. And I, I can greatly appreciate that design philosophy of, I've, I've, I'm a content creator and I want to make something that I myself would enjoy. Yep, exactly. And I hugely, hugely respect that. And to me, like, I think that is a huge part of why this game's customer support is as good as it is. They, they want to create something, not just something that the players love, but they want it to be something that they like to play, as you yourself said. There's a quote from Romeo and Juliet that's always stuck with me. And it said, never trust a chef that won't lick his own thumb. Yep. Yeah. The best developers are going to be the ones developing games that they themselves will enjoy. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm super happy that that game won the award and I've been, I've been playing N Walker in my own time and I've been really, really loving it. It, it definitely deserves uh, the praise that it's been getting in my opinion. So let's take a moment and step back from the results. I think we can all agree that uh, the results this year were satisfactory much more so than last year. Let's take a step back and talk about the show itself. Because I think, and we touched upon this in our discussion last year. I want to, to broaden that a little bit. I think this show is miscategorized. This is not an award show, or at least the awards are not the focus of this show. I've, I've taken some time to, to do some number crunching. And I want to share a few numbers with you as it pertains okay. to, uh, to this last Game Awards. So it was a three-hour and 40-minute show. Yes, the actual show was three hours, but there was a half-hour pre-show, and it started a little bit earlier. The live stream itself was 3.40, and there were awards given at that pre-show, so I'm lumping the pre-show in with everything else. Uh, the number of full awards given, and when I say full awards, I'm talking about this was an award where a presenter got up, introduced the category, talked a little bit about what this category means, and then there was a full recap of every single nominee, complete with music and a little clip of each game. And then after that and the game award goes to, there is a dramatic opening of the envelope, the winner is announced, full fanfare music playing, the winner comes up to the stage, physically accepts the award, and gives a quick 30-second speech. That is what I'm considering a full award. There were 10 of those given out in that three-hour and 40-minute live stream. 
10 full awards. There was another kind of award, call, which I'm calling a quick award. This was done in about five seconds. And it was, and the next category is this. These are the nominees, and the nominees were quickly listed on the screen. And the award goes to announce the winner and moving on. Honestly, that, that, a huge uh, insult, in my opinion. There were 12 of those quick awards. Okay. And there were eight awards in the pre-show. These awards were so kicked to the curb, they didn't even deserve to be in the full show. They were in the pre-show. There were eight of those, all quick award style, which means there were 10 full awards and 20 quick awards. Two-thirds of the awards given out were not even given full appreciation. And can I say really quickly, two of those were the only audio-focused awards in the show. Yes, I know. I'm a composer. I am going to... Oh, no, to... <laughs> I, I totally get where you're coming from because I do sound design in my field. And the uh, Oscars, the there was, I think, the there's definitely been some stuff people have been talking about in the sound design field of, the, like, no, the, they aren't getting a lot of recognition mm -hmm. or respect audio. in the sound design field and audio for feature films and like compositions and uh you know foley and adr and all that kind of stuff so no it's very common in the uh both industries for uh just entertainment in general that if it's not something that can be seen mm -hmm. it gets pushed to the wayside it really it's does. very it, it's really amazing just how little people care about audio when they're is just as much work that goes into just audio and sound design as there is the visuals. Well, I, I view there are, there are three pillars of game design. These are three things that everything else sits on. If one of these three pillars is weak, the entire game comes crashing down. And those three pillars are art, gameplay, and sound. Yeah. Uh, yes, story is important, but not as important as those three. You can have a lesser story. And so long as you have excellent gameplay, mm -hmm. excellent art, and excellent sound, that will support the game. That dates all the way back to even like Pac-Man. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, mean, I completely agree with those three pillars. Yeah. The earliest narrative was get a high score. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But but yeah, yeah. The, the, the two awards for sound were both quick awards. The award for actual sound design was pushed to the pre-show. It's so insignificant it goes to the pre-show. But I can't blame the Game Awards for that. As you said, that is industry standard, unfortunately. But th there were a lot of awards that, that should have been more important that were those little quick awards. As I said, two-thirds of the awards were done in quick award style. So that brings our total amount of awards to 30. 30 awards were awarded at the Game Awards. There were 51 gameplay trailers. And that's why I think a lot of people just consider the Game Awards to be the end-of-the-year miniature E3 more than an actual award show. It is an E3. It's disguised as an award show. It's not, it even, it's not even as good as E3 because at least at E3, you can decide which game trailers you want to watch from which company or which genre instead of sitting there and watching three hours of first-person shooters. I looked up two different compilations from the Game Awards, one of them being a compilation of all the awards given. The other one was a compilation of all of the game, game trailers. Uh, the awards took 16 minutes to present all of the awards. There was one hour and 10 minutes of gameplay trailer. So <laughs> That sounds about right. Uh, these numbers speak for themselves, and this is my biggest, biggest issue with the Game Awards. It is not celebrating and congratulating the people who have worked on games this last year. It is more building anticipation for the games that are coming. Yeah. Or like capitalizing on like hype and trends because like some of the awards I'm seeing on their website is like content creator of the year, best esports athletes. These like, I, I can appreciate the achievements that these people have accomplished, but this is the, the game awards, which I feel should be focused on people who developed and create games. Having an award for best content creator of the year at the game awards is kind of an equivalent of if the Academy awards had an award for best movie critic of the year. 
Well, there, like, there's already an award show for that, the streamies. Yeah, yeah. Like that, though, that does not belong here. And and same with the the, the best sport esports coach, best esports event. Why does an event get an award? Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. It doesn't like because we're supposed to be celebrating games and the achievements of the developers who created those games. Mm-hmm. Why yeah, are we giving out awards for esports events? It's because unfortunately the title of the show is the Game Awards. And that's vague enough that they can loop this in. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's the truth. Well, and the unfortunate truth is all these things, all these decisions, especially having 51 game trailers, it all comes down to money and marketing. Yep, that's exactly what this show is. That show was massive. Did you see how much money went into that show? Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. I have no idea how much it is, but I can only imagine that it's a huge number. I mean, honestly, the reason why they have 20 quick awards is because there's no time for them. There's no time to give them the time they deserve because a majority of that time is slated for advertising new games. They really need to cut their budget free up some of that time. Don't completely get rid of the game trailers and the world premieres. Those are exciting and we should have that, but bring the focus back to the people making the games and actually recognize properly everybody that made a difference. It's like, I almost feel like it's running into the same thing. Like what happened with like the Super Bowl, because a lot of people watched the Super Bowls for the commercials. I mean, I've been guilty of that in the past. That is true, but the Super Bowl isn't 70% commercial. Right. The focus is still on the football. The focus is still on where it needs to be. And the Game Awards has lost their focus. Well, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think the Game Awards ever had that kind of focus to begin with. I think the focus has always been about disguising a, like a show that's, all about marketing and building up hype for new games as an award show. And that's how it always has been. It goes back to its days as the Spike TV Video Game Awards. Yeah, and it's, it's a cultural event. Yeah, it's it's always been that way. It's always been that way. Like, And it's a shame, too, because video games, it is a medium that deserves to have a legitimate award show, to have developers recognized and celebrated for the things that they create for the players to enjoy. We should just make our own game award show and just call it the Devies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. These, these awards do exist because mm-hmm. I know the IDGA, which is the Independent Game Developer Association, they have awards. The uh, GDC, which is Game Developer Conference, they also have awards, but they're not widely publicized yeah they're not Mm -hmm. celebrated like this kind of event and and that is that that is where a lot of the focus goes is when you have something that's widely celebrated and unfortunately what brings the crowds in and the viewers in to watch those really is those world premieres and that's what i'm saying like you can still have the world premieres but the fact that it took up that much of a percentage of the show Mm -hmm. at that point it's overkill Agreed. Like, I, I honestly feel like the video game industry is still growing, going through growing pains because you have to think video games only really took off and entered like extreme mainstream like media like in the 90s, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it is still it, a relatively it existed, new but it was still kind of growing. But the 90s with like home console systems becoming a lot more popular, especially with things like the NES and Super Nintendo, it really started to balloon. And then with the Internet and computer gaming and stuff like that, it's it's now to where video games is the biggest uh, in terms of capital industry for entertainment. And they're, I feel like they're still trying to figure out just what to do with that. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. it's so huge and so profitable, but it's also so new that there's a lot of problems that need to be resolved. And I mean, all the time you hear stories of like big hyped up games that 
uh, they come out and they're released completely broken and unplayable. And I think a lot of that can also be attributed to the fact that, you know, the industry is, is doing this because it's able to get away with it. And, you know, I think that also roots back to just the industry is so huge that it's still trying to figure out solutions to these problems. It's like, they're still trying to figure out how to properly release a game even today. It's attributed to the game awards, but it's attributed, I think, just to all parts of the gaming industry. Because as you said, yeah. it's still a new industry. And not only is it a new industry, it's a constantly shifting industry because the internet yeah. changed everything. Uh, you know, way back before the 90s, uh, when when the uh, the video game crash started, one of the, the biggest scapegoats of that crash is uh, E.T. for the Atari, which was a very busted game that was rushed out. In only six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we have games that are stupidly rushed out these days, but the difference is we can patch them. I'm looking at you mobile games. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, it, it is going to be interesting to see in the future how the video game industry evolves and how the game awards evolve with it because this show has evolved and, and it has every year it grows more and more trailer infested. We'll, we'll say, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it'll be interesting to see if, if it just ends up evolving into more of an E3 or if, it actually starts to crash because of that. I don't know, but yeah. we'll see. We, we will see what happens, and it'll be interesting to watch in the coming years. Uh, th there's been a lot of criticism over this very thing. I have seen multiple YouTube videos criticizing it over the very thing that we are, and I want to see if they address that next year and actually do something about it. I just figured out the best way to determine who wins if we do view our own game show. And how's that? You know how they have like the bouquet at a wedding? We just have all the game devs get into a giant mass and we're going to throw the trophy blind into the horde and whoever emerges with the trophy wins. <laughs> <laughs> I want it, I want it, I want it. <laughs> that, I'm not going to lie, people would watch that. <laughs> oh, they absolutely would. <laughs> Well, let's let's move on to something a little bit more optimistic. Okay. Because yes. uh, last week we got to see Nintendo's Indie World Showcase, uh, the last uh, direct of the year, and a lot of people are calling it a flop. A lot of people are saying it was underwhelming. I am of the opinion that the only reason anybody's saying this is underwhelming is because because it didn't have Silk Song. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> it didn't have Silk Song. I just want everybody. Okay, everybody. Silk Song's not going to be in an indie world, okay? It's bigger oh, yeah. than that, so just accept God. it. But I thought this was actually a, a fairly decent direct. Yeah, no, it was a great indie world, and I went into it fully expecting that there was not going to be any Silk Song. Okay, yeah. and I it just, just the the collective internet experience whenever that wasn't announced was just that Hercules meme of disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, like I was, I was watching it live, and I was looking at the, uh, the 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 stream chat just flying by, and half this chat was just, "It's not Silk Song, I don't care." That's it's why just, I turned the chat yeah. off. Yeah. It, it, well, like I turn, I keep the chat on because it's funny. <laughs> but okay, that's fair. Yeah, but, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm. I'm I'm excited to see more Silk Song in the future. As much as I did have a hard time playing the original Hollow Knight, I still like it. I still think it's a great game, and I'm excited to see what the sequel's going to do. Um, well, so yeah, I'm as excited for Silk Song as everyone else is. But I think people are blowing out of proportion. Like you know, if the indie world was as bad as it really was, it wasn't a bad showing at all. It was a great showing. Despite, you know, not having Silk Song, Silk Song, as you said, is too big for Indie World. It's going to be in a direct. Yeah, if, if it not its up. own thing. It, 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 yeah. This is not a Nintendo product. Yeah. Right. If you're going into an Indie World expecting Silk Song, you're going to be disappointed. Sorry. They, and, they uh, may. Uh, they <laughs> may use a direct to, to announce the next trailer of Silk Song. 
I don't know. They may, they well, or they may not. Because, but if they do, because it will the, probably be a full direct, not but, an indie world. Because here's yeah. the thing. Well, I wanted to say real quick, uh, because the whole point of an indie world is to show off new indie games from small development studios that you haven't heard of. It's to spread awareness for the smaller projects that are out there. It's not meant for the really big blockbuster indie developer studio things. Like they do that once in a while, like when they announced Ori and the Blind Forest was coming to the Switch, they, they put that at the end of an indie world. But at the end of the day, the indie worlds are all dedicated to, hey, have you hey have you heard of these? If not, you should check them out. They look really cool. And to be fair, Team Cherry is an indie studio. They do yeah. still they, fit in that title, but uh, yeah. Hollow Knight still, is arguably one of the most successful indie games to ever come out of the indie community. Right. So, so it's it is like, a little bit bigger. Yeah, Hollow Knight is one of those games that, like, yeah, it's an indie studio, but... It like it. It's not as craving for attention as some of these other smaller projects might mm. be. It, I, I guess is a way to put it. Yeah, I, I think for me the because that mentality I think derives from people by nature are just risk averse, and they want to. They're looking for something they know they will enjoy and get their money out of. So something like Silk Song definitely scratches that itch of just like, I want this and more of it. And it, you even see that in like films with like remakes and other things like that, or all the uh, uh, updated versions of games getting released to where they're, you know, updating the graphics and stuff is like people want a reliable, good experience. And sometimes whenever they see something new, it's still an uncertainty, especially because the video game franchise is a, a terrible, terrible trait of advertising a game without actual in-engine gameplay footage. So what you see uh, on screen might not always be what the end product is like. It's true. It's so true. And I, and it, 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 this just goes back to human nature at this point. Like humans want what they're familiar with. And yep. that's just the end of it. They want something new, but they want it to also be familiar. Well, let's talk and, about some of yeah. these new but not necessarily familiar games. And, yes. and there's one in particular which actually does feel familiar and I think was the star of the whole show, and it's what started the whole show, Sea of Stars. I am excited oh, yeah. about this game. That looked delightful. Yeah. And one of the most delightful things is they have a guest composer they've brought in who's doing some of the tracks, Yansunori Matsuda, who is famous for composing for Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, and the Xeno series. I didn't yeah. know he composed for the Xeno series. Yes. And oh, he yeah. is coming into this game, which if you, if you look at this game and look really closely, they're taking massive, massive inspiration from Chrono Trigger. One of my all-time yeah. favorite games. I want this now. Yeah, Chrono Trigger, uh, also the, uh, I think it was, was it the Mana series? there's a lot of JRPGs that this definitely feels like it's pulled inspiration from. I have never played the, uh, the mana games or Chrono Trigger. And I know I have to, but this looks like it will be a lot of fun and I'm interested. See the yeah. stars. Like, honestly, this, this is like how good the visuals of the game are. I love everything about sea of stars, except for one thing from that trailer that I saw. And what's that? the like where the health bars and like the mana are <laughs> that is so hard to read especially if like you were playing this on like a switch or something small that's going to be really difficult to read I mean, it's just in the bottom left hand corner isn't it? i'm looking at a screenshot i right know now. but for some reason it just feels so like plain compared to everything else that has so much like character and color and visual style it just i don't know it just, it looks like they, they took the Game Boy Pokemon, like, <laughs> style graphics and then just slapped a coat of paint on it. I don't know. I think it works. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not I, terrible. I, I'm it's not bad, it. but I just feel like it could be better. You want it to be a little bit more stylized. Yeah, I guess so. To, to match everything else. I, I, I disagree with you. I think that having it a little bit toned down keeps it out of the way from everything else so it doesn't stick out. Having the dark background helps the information on top of it 
actually yeah, stand it, it out a little bit. It gives it the contrast, yeah. It gives it the contrast it needs. And I actually really like the stylized corners they have on the the box around it. I I like it. Yeah, if they tie in that style with other things in the game, I think I would like it more. But just from isolated in the trailers, because I'm just thinking of it from like a mechanic standpoint of if it is turn-based, that would give you the time uh, to look at it. Because it is turn-based, not real-time, right? I I don't believe. know that they ever said. I don't know. I don't okay. think they. I don't think they said. I would assume it's probably turn based, but I could be wrong. Because if it's if it's real time, uh, looking back and forth between those two, I could see being a little bit difficult. Yeah, Chrono Trigger was turn based, so I would imagine this will probably follow suit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if it's taking inspiration from Chrono Trigger, I would imagine that it has to be. Yeah. Uh, what were some some of the other games that stood out to you guys? So one that stood out to me was one that uh, I saw that I was like, I want to play this, but I also don't want to play this at the same time. <laughs> I know which <laughs> one this is. And it is a uh, Endling Extinction is Forever. I, oh. I think the game looks really interesting. And the, the art style is really, really nice looking. The art style is definitely up my alley. The thing that makes me go, I don't know if I want to play this game, is the emotional trip that it would put me on. Because the whole basis of the game is you're playing the the last mother fox in the world, and you have to move your 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 fox kits to a place where they won't be harmed. So basically, you're the last foxes around before the whole species goes extinct. And you have to protect yeah. you have to protect them along the way. So that means your 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 little child foxes can die along the journey. And as a person who gets emotional over animal deaths in movies and games, I saw that and I was just like, I don't know if I want to play this, but I also think it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be allowed to play that game because there's a reason I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah you're the you're you're kind of the polar opposite of me in that in that department yeah i'd, I'd be the cynical one of like all right kid figure it out <laughs> <laughs> i i am excited for endling i've actually been following uh the developer hero beat studios on twitter for a while so i've been watching as this game has uh developed and uh, i know it actually released for steam um not too long ago uh, it and, has a demo. The full version's not out yet. Okay, so it was a demo. Um, I knew there was some kind of release, but right. uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for this game, and and I've uh, I've got high hopes for it. Uh, th- this is the kind of of game coming out of the indie world that really injects life into gaming as a whole. You're not you're not trying to kill anything. You're not trying to shoot anything. The gameplay is unique. And I I applaud any game who has any kind of unique gameplay feature like this. But you want to know a game that does have a lot of killing? (laughs) What's that? I'm going to use that as a very terrible transition for for River City Girls. Ah. (laughs) I I love me a good beat-em-up. I can't help it. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, River City Girls, I, I... it's not quite my genre, but I have to say I'm curious. It looks clean. Like it, it just it looks so fluid from the sprite animation to the the mechanics and everything like that. Like uh, the first one has been on my radar to go and play whenever I get a chance to over the holiday break, but I'm just it it's it goes back to those uh old school arcade games that I grew up with because like uh, there were some things, you know, like uh, Streets of Rage and River City Ransom and, uh, oh, what are some other ones? Uh, I mean, even there was like the X-Men arcade game uh, that had those side-scrolling beat-em-ups and it's just kind of, I've I've always had a, a passion for those kinds of games and I'm, I'm really curious to see what the indie sphere is doing because you don't really see a lot of AAA developers making games like that nowadays. I think the last big one that I remember was they did like a, modernization of i think it was battletoads at one point because i know there was a new battletoads game that came out somewhat recently wasn't wasn't yeah yeah but i remember a lot of people were complaining about the art style yeah because it went with that like sleeker vector style art style which just 
everybody was used to the pixel style from, you know, the other games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they were trying to go for something new this time around, and people just weren't really keen to it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't really, as you said, I don't see a lot of big beat-em-up games that come out of uh, anyone, like even indie studios. Like, indie studios make a lot of Metroidvanias, but I don't really see them make a lot of beat-em-ups. As you said, it, it looks very clean, and that doesn't surprise me because... Uh, this is coming out of uh, the studio Way Forward, which is the same studio that did Shantae. And that was a very clean game. Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I recognize the art style immediately. This It looked like a Shantae game just from the art style alone. Yeah. We also learned that uh, a, a big favorite of yours, Brian, uh, Don't Starve Together, is now coming to the Switch. Yes, I saw that. Like, I was, I'm part excited and part... I've already got got it on Steam and all my friends are on Steam. It's just, unless it's a Nintendo title, it's hard for me to get excited about a multiplayer game on Switch. That's fair. If it's on Steam, unless it yeah. has crossplay. Now, if this has crossplay, I might go ahead and pick it up because I do enjoy being able to kick back on the couch and play in handheld mode. And that would be fun to play with uh, Let's uh, with Don't Starve. Uh, having said that, though, this is a perfect game for the Switch. This I think this will, will uh, work on the Switch very well. I've played mm-hmm. Don't Starve on mobile before, and it plays yeah. well even on mobile. Uh, yeah. It's a perfect game for Switch. Yeah, and I know that there were some people out there saying uh, they, they were surprised by that announcement. Like, oh, didn't the Switch already have that? It had like, No, it had the original Don't Starve, not yeah. Don't Starve together, but... Yeah, And Don't Starve Together is completely different. Like, Don't Starve was the original. And then they kind of did Don't Starve Together as a... It's kind of like what happened with Fortnite. (laughs) Don't Starve Together was an afterthought of, well, let's do multiplayer. And then it just took off so well that development on the original Don't Starve ceased, and uh, Don't Starve Together is the game with all the updates now. Yeah. Yep, that's the one that gets all of the, uh, the new development. And it is the perfect game to play with people. I, um, Addison, we've, we've drug you into a few games of Don't Starve. It's a lot of fun. I love being the were-goose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I play as the, uh, the um, what was his name? Uh, Woody. I forgot, I forgot. Woody, yeah, Woody. Because he, he can turn into a, a were-goose, a were-beaver, and... What was there was a third one? I, I forgot. Remember. I don't a, remember off the but, top of my head. But I I remember reading about that mechanic. I'm just like, oh, that sounds amazing, and I want to be a mm. part of it. And also he and also he gets a free axe. He so does. I was just like, I, I immediately was just like, I mean, with all the wood you have to collect in the game, that's mm. actually quite the benefit <laughs> to it start is. off with. I like to play as Weber. Isn't he the regular character? No, he's the spider. Oh, he's a spider. Okay. Yeah. I know um, a lot of our friends we play with. They love playing as one of the uh, the ghost girls, like the ones who oh, have. Oh, like, I can't the, remember the ghost, her name. Uh, Abigail. Yes, Abigail. Yeah, because they have like the the ghosts that that fight off um, uh, animals and monsters mm-hmm. for you. So that's why I like Weber. Except uh, Weber doesn't get a ghost. Weber gets to build a spider army, <laughs> and I like my spider army. Yeah. Yeah, if, if if I remember anything from uh, from Hollow Knight, you love your spider army. Yeah, that's true. I didn't make that connection, but yeah, I, I do like yeah. my little uh, Weaverlings in Hollow Knight. Oh no, we found a theme. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yep, we found it. He likes to make an army of spiders. I know what you're getting for Christmas. Oh no, <laughs> Charlie will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you. Just open the box and it just pours out of the box just daddy uh, <laughs> <laughs> so another game that caught my eye was uh, alicia oblivion of the twin goddesses right yeah yeah that one because uh, there was another game that uh it was a puzzle centered kind of game like alicia is and it, it it was like you and someone else had to work together to solve puzzles um, oh, wait, 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 which one was that? Which one was that? Um, it, it was like all frosted and frozen. Kind of like, I can't remember what that game was now. But like whenever I got that uh, that idea is like, because this one is you're swapping between the two characters and they can each do things like right. differently. 
Oh, that's going to drive me nuts. I can't think of the name of that game. Well, while you're trying to think of that, there is another game that I know caught your attention, and it definitely caught mine. And uh, that one is Locomotion. Or no, Locomotive. It was Locomotive. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody do Locomotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the play on words there with Locomotive. But uh, a good old-fashioned murder mystery. It just looks good. Is that what that is? It's a murder mystery game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I think what it is is there's three suspects and you I don't know if you swap between the three or you pick one of them and you have oh, to prove your innocence. That's right. I remember. OK, I remember seeing this game. That was the one with. Uh, yeah, the 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 murder mystery like you, you. I really like that twist that the quote unquote detectives are the suspects as well. That is an interesting twist. I like that. Because it, 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 it kind of makes things really tense when it comes to trying to solve the mystery because like how are we going to trust these detectives when we they might have been the ones who did it you know yeah like are they just trying to cover their own tracks because it's a train (laughs) 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 okay you know a game like this is going to be just littered with puns oh and i'm gonna love every minute of it but yeah the game looks awesome i i'm definitely willing to check that one out so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll end it off here with the, uh, the game that Nintendo ended it off with, uh, Amori. This is one that I've never heard of before, but apparently it is a big deal. I'm kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know where I sit with this game. I'm on the fence, honestly, because like the, the visual style of it reminds me of like, I don't know. It's like, uh. The combat gives me Earthbound vibes. Earthbound was where I was thinking as well. But then, like, the illustration style feels like kids' manga, I guess. I guess you can say that's what the point is. Yeah. So I... Because I remember when they ended it off with that, the chat was going nuts. Like, it was a really, really big deal. Yeah. And I'm just like, I've never even heard of this. But, I mean, the combat looks cool. I'll give it that. The combat looks certainly interesting. So I'm, I'm going to refer back to something I said earlier, but in a different way. Because uh, we, we talked about how story is important in a game, but not quite as important as those other three pillars. But for a game like Amori, I kind of think, like, the story is going to be the key to this game. It yeah. looks just so quirky. I think that what's going to either cause it to win or lose is going to be the story. Oh, yeah. It, it's going to be the linchpin of a game mm-hmm. like this. Agreed. Yeah, especially, as you said, with an art style like that. Because the art style is... The art style is interesting to a degree, but it's also kind of like, you know, it it's like kids doodling. Like, it... it, it there needs to be a point to an art style like this. Well, it's a love it or hate it art style. Really. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how I feel too. It's a love it or hate it situation. They're they're definitely like setting up for some stuff though because like whenever you go to like the overworld segments, the sprites, everything blends together except for your character. And now I'm just like, oh no, they're they're already setting it up with their the terrible or weird stuff is going to happen in this game. And you can just tell from the way that they're illustrating things. Yeah, because your character is always in black and white. Yeah, and everything else is this like really soft pastel saturated Mm -hmm. world oh i want to know more i really want to know more (laughs) i I feel like whenever you have an rpg we need to add a uh, a fourth pillar which would be story (laughs) story yeah, yeah rpg is definitely yeah you have to have a good story in rpg i mean um, i would yeah. i would argue that to a degree because there are plenty of rpgs out there that are awesome rpgs but they don't really have much of a story going for them i, I go back to final fantasy 15 that honestly i felt had great music the art was fine uh, the gameplay was great but the story kind of left you wanting and what do you got against hanging out with your bros I mean, I like I like camping, but um, uh. <laughs> but 
yeah, the trailer for Omori did what it was supposed to do. It left me wanting more. And I want to know more. Hmm. And so I'm, like I I'm said, curious. like in terms of like the, the story pillar thing with an RPG, I mean, as an example of like RPGs that you don't play for the story, I mean, you don't play Pokemon for the story and that's basically an RPG. Says you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I re- that, that I'm really, is... I'm really invested in this story of, of becoming the Pokemon champion again. <laughs> I am deeply invested in the deep lore of why every single 10 year old main character only has a mom. So that, that is a fair, that is a fair point. And, and the RPG, the genre of RPG has become a very broad genre, narrow it down to a JRPG and story becomes infinitely more important. I could name some JRPGs that are really good that don't have much of a story for them. You're just going to be my devil's advocate today, aren't you? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not saying that you're wrong. Like story is an important thing when it comes to a good RPG, but I still wouldn't categorize it as a pillar. I, it, I can agree with that. It, it is, it is important, but it is, it still sits under those main three pillars. Right. I know. I'm, I'm curious what game you would use as reference just out of curiosity. Like some of the earlier Final Fantasy games, they didn't have much of a story going for them. What are you talking about? They had crystals galore. Final Fantasy three story is very, very simplistic compared to what the more modern games have, man. Let's see, which one was three? It was the third one. Oh, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I've I've played I've played Final Fantasy three, and the the main story of Final Fantasy three is it's four kids who are out to save the world from a baddie. That's the that's the story. Right. That's the plot. That was the one where the the job system kind of took the forefront. Right. Like that was that is a Final Fantasy game that you don't play for the story. You play it because the freaking combat system and job system is awesome. And the overworld is fun to explore. Yeah. And magic crystals lead to orphans saving the world. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of story, there's not much going on. It's just four kids out to beat a bad guy. That's all that story is. I mean, obviously you could make an argument that it goes deeper than that, but I mean, at the end of the day, the story on its surface is fairly simple. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying like, I'm, I still agree that story is a very important thing when it comes to a JRPG, but I still wouldn't categorize it as a pillar, but that's my opinion. That's just me venting an opinion at the end of a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay because all opinions matter here. I think maybe I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, opinions are like the stock market. Uh, it fluctuates in value. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at insert GameCast, And we're also on YouTube and it's, it's, it's just great to be back with you guys. Uh, that was a, that was a long little hiatus, but I'm glad to be back. It's good to be Me back. Too. It's good to be back and make stupid jokes at the beginning and end of a podcast. You guys have a uh, have a great Christmas. Have a happy new year. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with who knows what. Drink lots of eggnog. Mm, eggnog. Baby Storm, game of the year 2022. <laughs> 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 Babies! Babies!